Welcome to She Brigade, the podcast. I'm your host, Belun Klemsemeche. On this podcast, we bring you amazing trailblazing women to come and share their life and career journeys with you. From entrepreneurs to nine to fivers, join us as each guest takes you through all of the highs and all of the lows of their journeys that have led them to being who they are today. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of She Brigade. This is the final episode for 2020, but we will be back to continue the season next year. Okay, so on to today's episode. Our guest today is Tembiso Magajan. Tembiso is a banker turned social entrepreneur. She founded Social Coding, which is a non-profit company that helps rural communities leverage technology for a better future. The company has grown from teaching young black girls about technology and coding, to creating social development models for high-end enterprises, to helping small businesses leverage technology in their businesses. Tune in to hear how she pivoted from a career in banking using technology to help underprivileged communities. So, let's dive in. Hey, Tembi, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. I'm so excited. And guys, like, we've been trying to do this for so long. Girl. I'm so excited. I feel like this is, the, this is actually perfect timing. Um, it's funny because I think all the episodes, pretty much all the episodes that I've done this season so far, is people who we've been planning to do this for yeah. a while, and it hasn't really worked out, and now it's happening. But I see now that the timing couldn't have been more perfect for these specific conversations. So I'm so excited to have you on the show, and I can't wait to dive right in. So in fact, let's start. Let's just dive right in. So take us all the way back. Take us all the way back to younger Tembi growing up. Where did you grow up? How was your upbringing, your schooling, yeah. your childhood, everything? Sure. <laughs> younger Tembi. Um, you know, it's so funny. I think of younger Tembi now and I think of the Tembi that I am and um, two completely different people. Mm-hmm. You know, um, younger Tembi was born in Port Elizabeth. Um, she went to primary school in Port Elizabeth, and she ended up high school in Zambia. You know what? Yeah, girl. Okay, in Zambia that's for five interesting. years. Oh wow. Um, yeah, I went to. A How did that school. happen? So both my <laughs> parents were MKs. You know, I grew up in a very political household. I mean, I was used to having Sunday lunches with veterans. Oh, um, yeah. So very lively childhood. Um, and unfortunately, when my my father passed away. My mom went through this phase where, you know, she wasn't ready to just grow the children by herself. And they had always spoken about, you know, sending their kids off to a boarding school um, that did O and A levels. Um, And Mm. because they had been stationed in Zambia during apartheid, it was the best place to go. So, yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. So how was, how was, wait, firstly, how was the difference between South Africa and Zambia? How was that switch transitioning into a new environment like? And I mean, it's boarding school, so it's a little bit sheltered, I Mm. suppose. Mm. Is it? Is it not? <laughs> no. Nope. Well, not the boarding school I went to. Okay. You know, um, the experience I will say was life changing. It was very dramatic in the beginning, you know, because I was the outsider. I was one mm. of the different accents that looked different from the other girls and all girls boarding school. Um, so you can imagine the drama. Mm. Um, but I am so grateful for that experience because it taught me independence at a very young age. Um, it taught me discipline. It takes discipline to learn a new language and yeah. to learn it fluently. Um, and I've always been an A-type kind of personality. So my competitiveness, I didn't just want to learn one language. I wanted to learn both. 
Um, so by the time I finished grade eight, I was fluent in both Nyanja and Bemba, which was fantastic for me, but also bridged that gap, that initial gap that was between myself and the other learners. Yeah. Language is a huge barrier. And to be able to break that down and communicate better with the girls, I think that was my first lesson in reaching out and meeting people at a point of their need and not your want. Yeah. Okay, so then tell me more about um, just your high school education. Did you know what you wanted to be when you grew up? Yeah. Um, yeah, well, actually, what did you want to be mm. while you were in, in high school, in high school? Not a failure. Oh, wow. Yeah. That is not a response I expected. <laughs> I didn't want to be a failure. Okay. I had no clue what I wanted to be. Um, you know, I always tell my friends that I was most voted most likely not to succeed. <gasps> yeah. I mean, looking back, I kind of get it no, now. No, yeah. that sounds harsh. <laughs> Have you met other girls? Other girls can be very mean. Um, so, yeah, I didn't want to be a failure. Mm. Um, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I just knew what I wanted to be, and that was a success. Um, what did what what did success success mean to you? Success meant liberty. It meant the freedom to do what I want to do, but more importantly, be who I want to be, and that's mm. somebody um, that other people could look up to. I was very obsessed with being a role model. Oh wow! <laughs> you know, now that I look back, I was very obsessed with being somebody that people could. As take inspiration from yeah. um, and that was probably because I, I've always been the outsider you know nobody when I was growing up nobody looked at me and said hey I want to be that girl's friend or um, you know I want to know more what that girl does mm. um, and I think that's why I champion people that have been story, historically sidelined um, because they are people that nobody gives a second thought to as well mm. um, but yeah I'm getting away ahead of myself um, by the time I matriculated Let's say I, I thought, where can I make the most money? And that was finance, mm. you know? Um, but also I wanted to prove a point. Nobody believed in me in high school. Mm. Um, and I wanted to show them that I could do this. So I applied for BCom Accounting. I got in and yeah. Um, by the time I graduated, got a job in banking. Worked for Goldman Sachs, which is an incredible experience. Um, but three years in, I realized this is not what I want to do. Mm. Yeah. What was it, do you think, that made you feel like this is not it? It's that feeling that you get when you get home and you ask yourself, what is, what is it I actually did today? You know, you could look at balance sheets. You could look at creating a decks, you know, for a client. But if you get home in the evening and you have to rack your brain and remember what it is you did just a couple of hours ago, then you're not you're not in love with it's it. It's like you're in, you're on autopilot, hundred percent. Like you're just going with the motions, hundred percent. Yeah. And I'm a huge basketball fan, right? So I grew up in the era of you know D Wade, um, Kobe Bryant, and I was particularly obsessed with Kobe. And you know Kobe has always spoken about. Um, he's got this really great quote where he says, um, "If you're not obsessed about what you're doing, then you and I don't speak the same language." Mm. Um, and I wasn't obsessed with what I was doing. I was good at it, but I wasn't great. And yeah. everybody wants to be great. Oh wow. I'm already like in awe. It's been like, has it been like two minutes of the episode? Oh, yeah. okay. Oh, wow. So I know the story of how you started social coding. Yeah. Um, I think it had to do with your niece. <laughs> yes. But just for our listeners that aren't familiar with it, can you just take us through that and how social coding came to be? Okay, cool. Yeah. So um, listen, man, I, I come from a lineage of greatness when it comes to the women in my family. Um, and my niece is no exception. So uh, she was turning six that particular year. And I was racking my brain in terms of what can I do for her? What can I get for her? Um, a lot of people don't know this, but I personally don't want to be a biological parent. 
Oh. Yeah. And, you know, this is a conversation that's very hard to have as a female because, you know, inherently we are bred or born to believe that we should breed mm-hmm. children. Mm-hmm. Um, so my niece has always been like my surrogate child. Yeah. Um, so I had a conversation with Liano and I said, Liano, what is it that you want? And she's like, oh, I want to be Steve Jobs. And it... <sighs> You know, I, I was also in a period of my life, you know, wokeness and consciousness and black power. <laughs> and the first thing that goes through my head is like, you want to be an old white man? <laughs> Unpack that for me, you know? Yeah. And she's like, no, 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 no. I want to create stuff. You know, I want to be an inventor. Um, and it hit me that sometimes especially for young black girls, and I'm one of them, we look for inspiration wherever we can find it. Mm-hmm. Um, we rarely look at whether it comes from a man or a woman, um, but we look if it's there and they have it, I want it. And mm. that's exactly her experience. You know, she was six years old, but she knew exactly what she wanted to do. It was just unfortunate that where she was drawing inspiration from happened to be, yeah, yeah. 100%. Um, so, you know, I'm a very strategic kind of person when it comes to my thinking. I always say, okay, what's the goal? If the goal is this, how do we work our way backwards? And if the goal was to get Liano to a point where she could become an inventor, how do I assist in that journey? And obviously it was to learn how to code, Yeah. right? Um, (laughs) And I'm someone from finance, absolutely no background in IT whatsoever or coding. So obviously we started with drag and drop programming. Yeah. Scratch, (laughs) you know? Um, And for the first couple of weeks, every Saturday I'd go over to her house. I mean... My sister has a bigger crib, so it just made sense <laughs> that we'd do it at her house. And um, we would do drag and drop programming for a couple of weeks. Um, and, and one week I came over and she had three other friends there. So, you know, I always joke that social coding started with um, four girls on one laptop. And mm. I think the genesis of social coding was in my sister's living room with those four beautiful black girls that yeah. just wanted to create. Yeah, I absolutely commend, as someone in IT, <laughs> I commend you for even like stepping out of your comfort zone because yeah. it's, it's very different roles, like from banking. By the way, you were still a banker. 100%, yeah. You were still a banker while you were teaching, while you were yeah. learning learning yourself how to code yeah. and then teaching your niece how to code and her friends. 100%. So you were yeah. learning with them in the process. I was. Oh, wow. Yeah. So what, big ups to you, man. Humbling <laughs> experience. You right? Know? I mean, it got to a point where, I remember this one Saturday, you know, the girls would also do their homework during the week. So by the time I'd see them, you know, they would perhaps have learned a little more. Mm. So it was a humbling to have six-year-old girls correct you when <laughs> your code is wrong. <laughs> and you, you you're know? a professional. Like, you're a professional and expert at what you do. And now there's this whole new thing that you don't even know about. Yeah, no, <laughs> and that's that's the crazy thing about entrepreneurship. I think when you do it right yeah. is when you're humbled. If you have an ego in entrepreneurship, you're not doing it right. You know, that's what keeps you hungry. That's what keeps you aspiring to greatness, that humbleness mm. that grounds you. Um, so, yeah, shout out to my six year old first mentors. <laughs> OK. And, and, and I mean, at some point you, you left the banking world yeah. to pursue this full time. What yeah. was that like? So what was it that made you feel like this is actually because, I mean, you were doing it to help your niece. Yeah. At what point did you want to make it something bigger than just like something in your sister's house? Um, like what happened through that journey? Um, I came face to face with my own unconscious biases in the workplace, right? Um, I think, and it's, I'm so happy to be on this specific podcast because I think what you've done here, Bello, is you've created a safe space for women to actually share some of the, the moments in their life when they're not proud of, you mm. know? Um, 
one of my managers had just been promoted to um to become my immediate boss now and uh she was um in hindsight she was excellent i just found her difficult right and when i say i came face to face with my own unconscious bias before her we had a male uh, manager who demanded a lot from us you know but somehow that was fine somehow there was no problems mm, there that was acceptable if, 100% if he yeah. if he called me on a saturday morning and said he wanted a pitch book by 11 a.m for me it would just be oh tony's just demanding you know that's he just wants things done in a specific mm. way but the minute she became promoted everything that she did that he did it rubbed me off the wrong way right um and i'm ashamed to say it now but i was unconsciously biased towards her because she was female mm. right because i hadn't been exposed to women wanting more i didn't mm. know what that looked like and because i didn't know what it looked like my first instinct is to rebel against yeah. it right and that inherently is the problem that we have now when we don't give women the space to grow and to lead because what happens is you are now doing a disservice to society because they don't recognize leadership right we've been taught that leadership and masculinity are somehow tied together you cannot separate the uh-huh. two so when we come face to face with a women in a woman in um, a, a leadership um, position we we don't know how to deal with it right um so unfortunately that was one of the reasons that led me to jumping ship i didn't have money you know but i was enjoying at this time i was 18 months into doing social coding we had graduated from my sister's living room right to um one of my mentors office spaces and i had reached out on twitter and you know asked for help that's actually how i met my co-founder tiamo on on twitter brilliant brilliant ai um, data scientist and we had rhythm going but when i left goldman it wasn't because you know i was ready to do this this mm. thing it was because i came face to face with my bias and it wasn't pretty yeah mm. that's such an interesting story and i'm glad you said that because i think sometimes we glamorize this idea of leaving corporate i'm ready to do my 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 entrepreneurship thing it's going well i'm ready i'm great to go all in and it's all about the entrepreneurship side of it but we don't necessarily acknowledge the fact that not that you felt pushed out, but even if it was just internal. Yeah. There's, there's, there's other things that are probably part of your current environment that are making you want to leave. It's, it's, sometimes it's, it's less of going towards that, but leaving this. Um, so thank you for sharing that. Yeah. I mean, you know, and I'm so glad you touched on the, the whole glamorization of entrepreneurship. Do you know how many times I wrote a letter crying love back? For work <laughs> love back. You know, 100%. Love back. there were times i would type this letter and i would say you know what i'll do everything to come back this is not working out for me um it's it's hard <laughs> i love how you describe it yeah what 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 are some of the challenges that you've faced as an entrepreneur um <clears throat> i if i if it was to be specific in my space right social entrepreneurship there isn't a hunger amongst social entrepreneurs you know we focus on one aspect which is obviously the impact which yeah. is a very important, important aspect but impact cannot work without sustainability right so one of the biggest biggest challenges i've had is convincing people in corporate and in government that they should pay for the work that we do right mm. um yeah. One way we we measure value in my industry is are people willing to to pay for it? Right? But as a nonprofit, 
um, a lot of people confuse what we do with nonprofit um, organizations, and we're a nonprofit company, right? Mm-hmm. So, we're so what a, what is the difference? Yeah. So essentially, um, NPOs rely a lot on donations and grants, right? Whereas a nonprofit company, you're able to generate income. So you can sell services and products, right? Mm-hmm. The only difference or the only thing that connects the two is that you cannot do that for um, shareholder distribution. Oh, okay. So all the profits have to be reinvested, right? Um, and because corporates and, and governments have worked so long with people in our space and have ch- treated us like charity cases, right? They don't value us from a monetary perspective. So one of the biggest challenges I've had is campaigning um, the value of the work that we do mm. people like us the, the, i mean why wouldn't you want to pay someone whose sole goal is impact right and pay them good money because you are guaranteed that that money is going to be reinvested unlike you know for-profit companies where money is going into people's pockets yeah so yeah in the last couple of years i really advocated um and for a sense of value for the work that i do um, and some people are surprised when I walk into a boardroom and I say, okay, well, this is how much we'll charge for a training service. And their eyes just become so big because they're expecting me to come in from a humble, begging bowl perspective. Yeah. Um, whereas I haven't worked this hard for the last five years to be a beggar, right? I know the work that I do. I value the work that I do. Mm. I am disciplined. I'm excellent, right? Um, and I've worked hard to communicate that. So that's definitely been one of the challenges. Um I think another challenge is is um, really meeting people, like I mentioned earlier, at a point of their their need. Um, as a social entrepreneur, you can get caught up in this whole ideal to become a hero yeah. of your own story, you know. Um, and I'll share with you what happened a couple of years ago, actually, when we first pivoted. Um, so social coding essentially started out by providing coding training to young black girls in the hopes that they would become, you know, data scientists, become major in the IT space. Mm. Um, and we thought we could pilot what we were doing in urban cities in rural communities, right? We had this whole plan. We'd replicate because, I mean, it was working, right? Yeah. Um, so organized with the school in Rustenburg. And we went out, we had, girl, we had everything. We had free food, we had music, <laughs> you know, we had the swag, the t-shirts. Um, and the principal was so kind, she let us speak during assembly. And we said, hey guys, after class, you're free to come to one of these classes and, you know, have a training. We'll be here for three days. It's going to be great. You guys are going to build the next Facebook, the next Google. Mm. Um, and, you know, 2 p.m. came and not a single learner came. You know, and I'm just like, who the hell turns down free food? Like, <laughs> you know, um, and for three days, not a single learner showed yeah. up. Um, and so I'm the kind of person I want to know why something doesn't work. I'm not satisfied unless I know. So I went back to the principal and I threw a hiffy fit, you know, because that's what we do from the suburbs. We <laughs> <laughs> we want to understand why, why? our way why? didn't work. And, you know, she was so, so kind. And this is a testament to, you know, strong black female leadership. She was so patient with me, listened to my rant. And, you know, at the end of it, she says to me, Tembi, so look around you, right? Um, this is not Silver Lakes. I'm from Pretoria. Um, and she's like, this is not Silver Lakes, right? Um, you came with the good intention of teaching these kids how to code so that they can build the next Facebook or Google. Um, and they don't give a damn about the next Facebook or Google. They just want to know how to switch a computer on. Mm-hmm. You know, they just want to know how to send an email. 
Mm. They just want to know how to Google. And that hit me. I was so focused on pushing my agenda on this community that I failed to go back to the cornerstone of what it is we actually do. And that is help rural communities leverage technology for a better future. And that better future doesn't mean building the next great startup, unicorn business, right? Um, And that was a humbling, humbling lesson. So I think the challenge there was working against my own system. Because I had built my mindset around, this is what we're going to do, Mm. and it's going to be great. Mm. And to hit a stumbling block like that, that actually makes you reconsider what it is you're doing and for what purpose. Yeah, that was hard. Sure. Meet people where they are, not where you are. 100%. Mm. 100%. You definitely have to give them what they need and what you what, not what you want. Yeah, not what you want them to need. <laughs> 100%. Right? You know? um, so that's, that began our first pivot, actually. You know, we started then introducing computer familiarization in our training programs. Um, it wasn't sexy. <laughs> it wasn't glamorous. It wasn't something you'd want to tweet about. But I've realized over the course of my journey and the experience that I'm garnering that, you know, sometimes we have to do the unsexy stuff. You know, we have to go to the hard to reach places. Mm-hmm. And that's why um, three years ago, we made the decision that we would no longer work in urban communities, you know, and including townships. We said to ourselves, if we really are about rural development, then we're going to those rural areas. Yeah. We're going to Khasaleka. We're going to Marapong. We're going to Stienbokban, right? And obviously the first questions that come about is those are such hard to reach places. And I think because I'm obsessed with what I do, I am convinced that we have to do and go to the hard to reach places. That is what, if we're going to meet our goals as Mm. a country, as a continent, right. For the fourth industrial revolution, we can't all move forward. If half of us are left behind. Mm. Mm. Yeah. What a story. Mm. Like, it's so interesting because I went through, well, not the same, but <laughs> an experience where when I was in varsity mm. in my fourth year, I, I applied for a job at the university to be an assistant lecturer. So basically, I taught some classes, right? Mm. And so I was teaching um, BCom students. I was an IT student mm. teaching BCom students. And I was teaching advanced Excel <laughs> to second year students. And I was always so shocked that like like things that i took for granted Mm -hmm. because i'm an it i mean i can at this by the time you're in third year you can program really well Mm -hmm. you're good Mm -hmm. but i was very surprised that quite a few of my students even though they were in second year even though they were in in at at a university like university of pretoria it's a big university you would assume and Mm -hmm. you take it for granted people know the basics of computers but actually there were so many times i had to call myself and like call myself back and be like Take it back, you know, don't teach us as an IT person because, yes, you are here, but that's not, that's not necessarily where they are. Mm. And I would get frustrated initially. Mm. But what you're saying it makes sense. Meet people where, where they are, not where you are, because we're not going to move forward. No. If you used to, see, yeah, oh mm. my gosh. No. No, I'm so glad you said that story because I literally went to that and, and that's when really um, understanding where we are from an IT perspective, that's mm-hmm. when it came to mm-hmm. light to me. I was mm-hmm. like, yeah, something mm-hmm. needs to happen. And to see people like you that are doing it at such a lower level, for me, is exciting. It's yeah. actually very exciting. I love IT. <laughs> so I'm grateful for people like you. Yeah. And you said that was the first pivot yeah. that you did. Yeah. Yes. So what other pivots did you do as a company? Um, so I'm not sure if it's a pivot or more branching Growth. out. Yeah. yeah. So in the last two years, we've been very focused on putting 
technology tools in the hands of micro enterprises in rural communities, right? Mm. Excuse me. So the genesis of social coding has always been coding in high school. Mm -hmm. Right, so coding clubs, if you should say, with the goal of getting these learners to go into maths and science in grade 10, right? But more importantly, matriculate at a high level enough for them to go into IT at university, mm -hmm. right? Um, and that was great. It's, I think it was good for our beginnings. But I really became, um, not frustrated, but I think the kind of person that I am I'm always on to like what's next you know what's next for sustainability what's next for impact and I was fortunate enough to be running a training program in Lepalale so one of my clients a great client Exaro shout out Exaro sponsored this podcast <laughs> you know yes yes are you listening <laughs> um and we were running a training program there and one day I went out, I needed Coke, right? So I went out and there was this grocer just, just down the road from where we were having the training program. And, you know, walked in, went to the fridge, got Coke, went to the cashier's table, took out my card and I was ready to pay. Oh, gosh. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, blonde moment. Yeah, instinct. Um, just hundreds, hundreds, yeah. 100%. <laughs> and, and, and just to, before I go back to the story, in suburbia, you and I have the privilege of having technology make our lives easier yeah right um i go to a coffee shop i can either pay with my card or pay with my phone by scanning right um mm -hmm. if i want to set my meetings for the day i have an alexa at home so in the morning alexa will set my meetings she'll organize my calendar grocery uh, shop everything yeah right it's made my life easier um so with that in mind let me go back to the story I take out my card um, and the lady on the other side looks at it and she looks at me and then she looks back at it and then she looks back at me almost with that look of are you stupid what are you <laughs> <laughs> exactly and it literally took a couple of seconds for it to kind of sink in that mm. Mm, this is not starbucks you know um and i was so embarrassed and i said oh my gosh i'm so sorry and then she's like you know almost in a very mm, it's okay like it happens all the time so this kind of piqued my interest and I and I said to her and I'm like how long have you been running this shop her name is Mary um and Mary's been running the shop for did you tweet years. about me I did I, saw <laughs> I, love, I enjoyed reading that I did <laughs> yeah yes. so Mary's been running the shop for about 14 years um she <laughs> so it's owned by her husband her, her ex-husband right and and they came to an agreement that if she worked six more years she would own the shop right okay and as we're talking, Mary starts sharing with me the challenges. Um, she works all day. At the end of the day, she has to give her husband the cash. It's a cash-based business. And you know this as well as I do. If there's cash in your handbag or in your purse, mm. you're going to spend it. Mm. So there's no savings culture, oh. right? The more I speak to Mary, the more it hits me that she could be doing so much more, right? Um, and then we speak about the fact that Mary has never even considered scaling her business, Right. And this is something that became a bit of an obsession for me when I'm looking at the rural context. You always find a family will own one shop, but yeah. never two or three, right? Um, and I wanted to understand why. And when I speak to Mary, it, it just never crossed her mind, right? So you have that financial exclusion when it comes to, you know, helping rural entrepreneurs scale. They don't have access to that kind of information. Um, another thing I realized when I was speaking to Mary is that it's not that people don't have the cards to pay because she's in a community where majority of people are cash based. 
it's just always been something she's used to. Yeah. But now, because she's in a mining community, right, Exara contractors will come into the community and stay for six, seven, eight, nine months, and they have cards. So they could be a potential market. But because she doesn't have that card machine, that one POS system, yeah. right, she's unable to tap into that money. And most of the times they'll come in, they don't have cash. So they'll have to leave and go to another store yes. that has a POS system. And it hit me then. I'm like, okay, if we're talking about leveraging technology for a better future, what is a better future? Additional income. For Mary, a better future for her is being able to pay off her husband once and for all, own that <laughs> shop, and get another shop. Mm. And that became my next obsession, right? We had hit a plateau in terms of coding workshops for kids. It was great, right? And we were good at it. We are still good at it. But I feel as an entrepreneur, you can't... You can't get content, man. You have to always be in this limbo of uncomfortability, just enough to push you. That is what greatness is. And I've always aspired to greatness. You know, when we started this conversation, you asked me, what did I want to be? And that's not a failure. And I fail myself, but more importantly, the people that I serve when I don't push myself to the next level. And that's exactly what this pilot was about with Mary, right? So Mary was our first project. And it was about what do we do? What does Mary have? She doesn't have Wi-Fi, you know, but she has a cell phone that has WhatsApp. Mm -hmm. And now the conversation became around how do we leverage WhatsApp? What can WhatsApp do for her business at this point? And I think that's my favorite part of starting a new project is the beginning. Those, those grueling ideation sessions yeah. where you're like, what can we do? Um, and how do we make it simple? For me, being a great entrepreneur is not making everything hard for people. A true testament of greatness is making it simple. Mm -hmm. um, and we settled on having Mary um, leverage broadcast lists for her business, right? So Mary also has a bakery, right? Inside the, inside the grocery shop. So we'd say to Mary, what if you had a sale? Like 15% sale on all breads. If you purchase two loaves, you get one loaf free or something. Um, she's like, okay, cool. But then how would I let my people know? It's like, well, broadcast lists. What? Yeah. You have, Mary is meticulous with keeping a ledger for her, you know, stock taking. So she also, if people are buying stuff on credit, they would write their name and their number. Mm. In. So she has this whole database that she's not even aware of, right? <laughs> when we think data, we think surveys. Yes. Servers, sorry. Not no, servers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We think servers. We think, you know, this storage room on the 29th floor. With all the machines, all the lights, all the, yeah. <laughs> Mary has this book, a book that she's had for 14 years. Different books, right? And she's a meticulous record keeper. And we said, that's your database, right? So if you're able to send a message whenever you're about to have a sale, mm. a discount, and you send it out, right? That's one way of doing it. You'd use your broadcast list. Number one. Number two, we noticed that around Mary's shop, there are these boys that would play dice, right? And we thought of the Uber model, Uber Eats model, in terms of delivery. There's no Uber Eats here, but what if Mary provided an added service at an extra six rand fifty, right? Where you could have whatever you wanted delivered via WhatsApp. So you message Mary and say, I want this, 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 mm -hmm. this, you know? Um, and then Mary would have the boys deliver it. And that for me... It's had, it has its own challenges because obviously you're looking at, okay, how would we ensure that Mary would get paid? You know, yeah. how would we 
give the boys a cut of. So there's all those little intricacies, but it actually began this conversation of really now impacting at the level that we wanted to, because we had already reached one demographic, which was the youth, right? Now we're focusing on the micro enterprises because for us, it's all about influencing that retail sector, mm. right? Mm. For the benefit, not only of that community, but the economy in general. This is an untapped brand market. And if you, if you look at rural people in particular, that is the most loyal brand market you'll ever have. Yes, they are slow to adopting new models, yeah. adopting new services and products. But once they do, they'll be loyal to you forever. That's why you, you have your grandparents that still have furniture from Joshua Door. <laughs> yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? And it's been my... When I go back to the earlier, when I spoke to you about, you know, advocating for value as a social entrepreneur to these corporates, this is the kind of message I bring, right? Because my company has built trust networks. Social coding isn't great because of what we do. We're great because of what we've built, which is a trust network, yes. right? In these communities, because we have invested in in-depth training, in-depth education, and in-depth de demonstration. Mm. Things that other companies don't have time for. And because of that, we can go back to our clients and say, well, listen, you know, there's a segment that you're unable to tap. This is why we've got that data. We've got that information. We would do the in-depth training to bring them on board, whatever product you're trying to sell. Mm -hmm. And we proved that with Mary, right? But the lesson that I learned there is that people don't care about one Mary. You can get moved by Mary's story and you want to help Mary donate once off and then it's over, right? So my challenge became... How do I identify other Marys, right? Because when you build an aggregate of Marys, that's when you get corporates listening. Yeah. It's not about one Mary. Mm -hmm. It's about every other Mary that's out there. And that is my job going forward in 2021. It's unearthing those other Marys and providing a platform for them, right, to leverage digital tools, but more importantly, to be seen. I want these women to be seen, Bella. Mm -hmm. I want their businesses to be seen. I don't want Mary working another six years right to own something that's been hers for the last 14 yeah mm. like you guys should see my face right now i'm just in awe of, like i could listen to you all day and i love how like everything that you've mentioned in the beginning of your story is actually tying back in like you mentioned that you you advocate for people that are sidelined and you, you explained why and you're literally living it now and yeah. you never i'm sure you never thought that this would be where you are in your life right now 100%. but it's absolutely incredible for you to watch something that i like asking um the guests is how do you know what is the right move to make when in your business? And I think you've actually just explained it um, in that it's finding, like sometimes your experiences will lead you to these things. Mm -hmm. Can you solve a problem? That's really mm -hmm. what it's about. I think as entrepreneurs, sometimes you forget about solving the problem for the person that you're serving. Mm. Um, you're looking at, you know, um, I don't know, the profits or the money because that's important, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. You forget about the fact that you're solving a problem and mm -hmm. how you've identified these problems through just your normal experiences is absolutely incredible to me and how you've actually... Through like, talking to people. Through talking to people. You just need to talk. Like, I think we don't talk enough to yeah. people, right? We like to be heard. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody wants to be heard. But we're not listening. Mm -mm. And it took me... I could have easily walked out of that shop and not mm. bought that Coke because I had my card. Yeah. But that conversation with Mary led me down the next growth aspect of social coding. Mm. Um, so I love talking to people because I never know when the next big idea is going to yes, come. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. What would you say to someone who is a social entrepreneur? Um, yeah, what would you say to them from a social entrepreneurship perspective specifically? Um, I would say two things, right? Actually, three. The first thing I would say is be sure. 
be sure of what it is you're doing, right? Mm. Um, a lot of entrepreneurs aren't sure. They jump ship before they're sure. You focus on whether or not you have the money, whether or not you have the office space. Those things don't matter. What you should focus on is whether you know it is what you want to do, right? So mm. be sure, mm. right? The second thing would definitely be sustainable. And how, how do you build sustainability? Um, I've always advocated for treating my business like a trust baby, right? Okay. So 100%. My social coding is my legacy. So yes. it's my child. As you, as parents who are going to be parents, you put money in for university. You start, I do that for social coding, you know, yeah. um, because we are a nonprofit and there's no profit that goes into my pockets. I ensure that we have a diverse investment portfolio. Because Mtana must never be lacking. Mm. You know? <laughs> I want my social coding to be that cheese girl. You know, in private, 100% in private yeah. school. And I have these conversations with my accountant. And I, and I say to my accountant, okay, if I wanted social coding to have a Louis Vuitton bag in five years, how do we get there? Yeah. Right? And what is a Louis Vuitton ba- bag? You asked me what it means, you know, what, what you... <laughs> You asked me a question earlier in terms of what success means yes. for me, right? Success is liberty. So liberty for social coding is the freedom for her to pursue any project and not be tied back because there's no money. Yeah. Because a corporate doesn't want to fund me or sponsor me. No. So number two, social entrepreneurs, be sustainable. You know, treat your business like a trust baby invest for it spoil it right Mm. invest not only in monetary things but invest in um like the right team the right people People. having the right people on your team and ensuring that you're investing your thoughts your skills your gifts the third thing i would say be humble be humble Great ideas have always come to me when I was in a humble position, in mm. a position to learn, to be taught, um, and in a position to say, you know what? I was wrong. Show me better. I love those three. Okay, so Tembi, take us, take us through what are some of the highlights mm. and the lowlights of your journey? Okay. Highlights uh, would definitely be the first million. Ooh. <laughs> yeah, 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 I hope you like celebrated big for that one. I think you need to celebrate the wins. I mean, we had pizza and <laughs> champagne and plastic cups. So yeah, the first million was definitely um, a highlight for me. I think because it was money that wasn't donated or it was, didn't come from a grant, mm. we had worked for it, right? Mm. Um, and I think what keeps me going is the saying that after you've made the first million, everything else is easier. So I'm holding on to that. Um, another highlight would be having an all-female, black female um, board of directors. You know, mm. My co-founders are brilliant black women who know more than I do. I'm so grateful. I think being the CEO and founder of a company puts a lot of pressure, but also spotlight on you. And people don't realize that it's not you. You know, I literally am because of these women. Tiamo is a fantastic technical director. She ensures that all of our programs are taught at a standard, at a very high standard, mm. from the equipment that we use to the curriculum that is taught. Um, and then you have uh, Tepi, who deals with our volunteer development, right? Because for us, we didn't want people to join our team and just have an experience of community work. 
it was how do we develop these young people to be the next generation of change makers but do it with money right because people love this inspirational thing um, no, 100%. We love to inspire our employees. Our employees don't need inspiration. They need money. <laughs> yes. They need money. Yeah. So Tipiso's job is, is basically to marry the two. How do we give enough inspiration and training, but enough monetary support as well? You know, um, And again, that's one of the reasons why it was so important for us to have a, a good fund for social coding so the, that we could have money to hire the best, you mm. know? Um, and not be cheated like your everyday of the mill charity. Mm, mm. Yeah. And 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 the low lights. Uh, girl, the low. Um, I don't like to think of those. I kind of I use my 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 mind of like sort of like a mind palace, so I get rid of all the negative stuff. Um, but, but we need to talk about the lows, 100%, you know. <laughs> we need to share those. I think. The lows would be for me every time I let my team down from a leadership perspective, mm. right? Um, I can be a difficult person to work with sometimes, <laughs> 100%. I think because I demand so much of myself, I tend to do it for the people that work with me. Um, and sometimes I don't know how to be nice about it. You know, in the moment, I will say what is on my mind as it is. Because I'm driven by... It's no excuse. Mm. Because I'm driven by this need for us not to fail, right? Because mm. I know for us failing, it doesn't, it's not even about us. It's about the people that we serve, right? And I drill this in my team. We have four values as social coding, right? The first value is people first. We'll always be about the people, right? Our second value is keep things simple. And if I see certain things are not being done according to our values, it frustrates me. Mm. And sometimes I can be a difficult leader. Um, and it's ironic because, you know, our third value is don't be an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think some of the lows, there they, they, they has been times when I've had altercations and we've lost some really good people mm. at social coding because of my inability at the time to manage well. So I would really encourage businesswomen out there, don't skip the step of, if you can, if you, if you have the money, please take leadership classes, mm. take management classes. You know, these are stuff that needs to be taught. You can't just think you're born a great leader. You have to be taught to be a great leader. Invest in it, study it, study leadership, study, mm -hmm. study management, right? Um, when I started out, I thought I had all the answers. I took my experience from banking and I brought that into my business and we lost some great people because of that. And it's hard to forgive myself. But what I've done is I've invested my own money into professional classes, teaching, teaching myself more about leadership, teaching myself more about management. Mm. Um, I think another low would be every time I've walked into a boardroom and, and I've been laughed out of it because of the kind of money we were asking for. You know, it's a low and a high. But it hurts because mm. you've built something that you know is valuable. You've built something that, you, that you've dedicated yourself to. And it hurts sometimes when people don't see it the way you do, right? But it's also an encouragement to say that it's fine. Sometimes God will prepare in private, right? What he promotes in public. Mm. So for every no that was a low in my life, 
I've had yeses that were highs, like, girl, like, I was on cocaine. <laughs> Not that I know what to be coca- on cocaine looks like, <laughs> but a disclaimer, 100%. Yeah. Mm. By the way, you mentioned three values. What's the fourth value? <laughs> I need to know. <laughs> that is a trade secret. Oh, no. That is, uh, unfortunately, that is a trade ah, secret. Yeah. I tried, guys. I tried. <laughs> <laughs> I tried. Okay. Um, okay, so... My favorite part of the podcast. My absolute favorite part of the podcast. Where I ask my favorite question. Okay. Um, which comes from my favorite quote. Which is, be who you needed when you were younger. Mm. Which, by the way, I think, I'm so glad. You know, I was listening to your story in the very beginning when you were talking about how what you wanted to be was basically someone that you could look up to. And mm. I immediately thought of be who you needed when you were younger. Mm. Um, so I believe that, um, right, I try to live by that. I try mm-hmm. to be who I would have needed to see or mm-hmm. try to do things that I would have needed to see when I was younger because I believe that if I needed that, mm-hmm. there's someone out there today that needs that too. Mm. So if you could go back mm. and just talk to younger Tembi, and this could be you uh, when you were starting social coding, it could be you in boarding school, whichever you this is, but a younger you, mm-hmm. if you could go back and talk to younger Tembi, what would you say to her? Sure. Um, well, the first thing I'd say to her is getting that belly ring was a bad <laughs> idea. That was a bad idea. Abort mission. <laughs> don't do it. Don't. Girl, don't, don't. Don't do it. Um, damn, dear Tembi, uh, be more forgiving. You've been so hard on yourself these last few years. Um Kindness is something that you've always given other people. I just want you to give it more to yourself. Um, take that chance. You know that chance that you, you didn't take when you are in Washington? You should have taken that chance. Because now you've spent the last couple of months wondering what if. So, dear Tembi, be more forgiving. Take more chances. And I love you. Mm, that's so beautiful yeah there is one last question that i need to ask you just because it's 2020 yeah what are the biggest lessons that you're taking away from this year what has covid19 and everything that has happened this year taught you whether it's from a business or personal perspective yeah um there is an urgency to help people Mm. um if there's one thing that i've learned it's that there's an urgency to help people um time is not on our side and do it. Start that business. Yeah. If your business is going to help impact others, start it. Do it now. Because you don't know whose life is literally hanging in the balance, waiting for your product, waiting for your service. Um, so yeah, the lesson that I've learned is that there's an urgency. Mm. Absolutely love that. Thank you so much, Timmy. This Thank has been amazing. You. Thank you for having me. It's <laughs> Thank been so you great. so, so much. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to She Brigade. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend you think will enjoy it too. You can also share it on your social media and tag us at She Brigade. Don't forget to subscribe to our newsletter using the link in the show notes. We'd also love to hear your feedback, so feel free to email your questions or your suggestions to info at shebrigade.com or DM us on Instagram or Twitter at shebrigade. Until next time, bye.